Welcome to the Anchor Church Podcast. To learn more about Anchor Church, go to www.anchorchurch.life. During our Love Maitland series, we learn how to practically live out the Great Commission. It's because there's a label put to us, and so this is it. When someone calls you something, then you strive to live it. So when you're told it's a dark continent, a hopeless continent, then you don't strive to live beyond it. Uh, I mean, left, right, center, when there's an issue, Western media comes and covers all the negative things. Well, even our own media uh, does not look for the positive stories. We're always peddling, you know, what didn't work, what is not working, why we need money, who's doing what, uh, and kind of looking to the West. But my prayer is that we may start giving an alternative alternative to this narrative, that there is hope, that uh, Kenya is no longer a dark continent, that Kenya is a source of light. There is hope that if an ordinary Kenyan can make such a small change, uh, I mean, a huge impact by maybe uh, just giving of themselves, using the platforms they have, social media, you know, tell of a positive story of someone who, you know, denied themselves lunch and took a kid to school. You never know who you could be educating. That could be the next president, you know, denying yourself an extra pair of shoes and, uh, you know, buying menstrual pads for a lady out you'll never ever meet. But that lady could be the very nurse who will, you know, deliver the next governor or the next person with the next great, great invention. And so I believe it's just giving an alternative to that narrative that, you know, and pushing message, a message of hope. And now that Kenyans can start believing in the alternative of the narrative that Kenya uh, is a source of light, Kenya has hope, uh, Kenya can be self-dependent. And in fact, Kenya can start being a donor nation. Morning. That was my buddy, John Gush, who I met in 2002, and uh, I think his message resonates, and I want to kind of talk about how we got there and how we, got, uh, how we were here, but uh, first of all, my name is Sean Coons, as Justin said, and I'm here with my beautiful wife, Whitney, and she's over here, and, uh, and then our daughter, Shiloh, is uh, back with her kids, and she was incredibly excited. I'm sure she'll have a lot of stories to come back and tell us and fill us in, but man, we are excited to be here, specifically because we have watched you from afar. It's kind of a creepy thing to say, I know, um, so we'll try to cut down the creepiness, but we, we've watched Anchor really uh, from the point that it was a just a thought uh, to the idea where God began to lay it on uh, Justin Danell's heart to plant the church here in Maitland and uh, to see where you guys are at today is just incredibly, incredibly exciting. And I want to thank you for the warm welcome and for allowing us to be here and to be a part of what you all are doing. And uh, we look forward to seeing how God is going to use Anchor Church to uh, reach around the world, and but also right here in Maitland, to impact for the kingdom of God. Uh, Jagush was talking about something that was very interesting, and it's, it's something that, you know, if Doc and I were to, would have thought back in 2002 that that was going to be the conversation today, I'm not sure that we would have gotten there, uh, because the, the Kenya that we walked into in 2002 was a whole different world. Uh, we, we've heard the stereotypes of Africa, and we've heard the, the ideas of the Nigerian prince taking all your money, and we get all those things, but the idea of a nation that is literally on the precipice of standing on its own feet, never mind an African nation who is emerging through the democratic process and coming to a place where they're saying, 
there's going to come a point where we don't need the outside intervention anymore. There's going to come a point where we are ready to take on these needs that are right here and to meet them from, with, uh, from out of our own pockets, from within our own resources, and with our own ability and time, and also our own skills. It's a world that a lot of people weren't quite sure would ever happen. But let me take you back. I want to talk to you about Tin Roof Society and how we got to where we are, but I also want to talk to you about, about the impossible task. Uh, the impossible task that sometimes it feels like and sometimes that we, we butt up against and we find a place where it's like, man, I'm not sure this is ever going to happen. But let's just pray real quick. Father, we pray that this morning that your word is honored and that, our, that uh, the words that are spoken uh, are words that would truly reflect uh, what you desire. And uh, Lord, I pray that you work in our hearts. And God, I ask this for each and every one of us that's here. I pray that you just, uh, maybe there's a scripture or maybe there's just something that has nothing to do with the sermon, but you've been trying to talk to us for a while and we haven't gotten quiet. I pray that today is the opportunity for us to hear from you deeply convicting. And then Lord, I pray that we respond in a way uh, that Lord advances your kingdom and allows us to truly find that purpose that you've laid out for our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As Doc said, um, 2002 is when I landed in Nairobi, Kenya on my 30th birthday. Uh, Before that, my previous life, I was a youth pastor living in West Texas, Um, not from West Texas. Do you want to talk about culture shock people? Hey, my goodness. Uh, And so God brought me all the way from Massachusetts to West Texas, therefore my Patriots and Red Sox roots. Uh, But I was born in Ohio, so we got kind of a mixed bag of teams there. But I went to West Texas where none of that mattered. And did not care, did not matter, but amazing, amazing people. And, but while there, God began to work in my heart and said, Sean, you know, I, I, want, I want you to really give me everything. Now, it's interesting because I grew up in a home where I have parents who are godly, who literally love Jesus with a whole heart. My father's, my father's a pastor, has been for uh, over, um, over 50 years coming up here. And uh, always talked about commitment and all these things. And I thought I had, I really did. I thought there, man, I really have given God everything. But what it was, I I had given him everything I was okay with, everything I was comfortable with. I still held on to my life plans and and I still had the strategic things that I was going to do. But there were good things. They weren't bad. And what I misunderstood was that you can be living uh, and doing really great things and be dead out of the will of God. You could be in church serving and you could be doing all these things and God could be saying, that's not really what I want for you. There's something else. And and so just by showing up to church on Sunday and just by doing good things does not mean that we're in the will of God. We're doing those things and we should do those things. But the question is, what if if there's more? What if there's a calling that is bigger uh, than just the perceptions of everybody around us and doing nice things? And, And that smacked me straight in the face when God said, but do I have everything? And um, he was leading me to walk away from the youth ministry and the church that I was a part of and didn't know where I was going to go, what I was going to do. Uh, but I went into a Barnes & Noble bookstore, and this is why literacy is good. Um, there was a, a picture on the front of a, of a Time magazine, February 12th edition, still have it. And on the, on the front of the, of the magazine it said Africa, and it said a nation in peril. Um, should have said continent, but it said, look at the pictures, read the stories, and try not to care, and it talked about the pandemic of AIDS. Now, I knew about AIDS in Africa, and I knew these things, but I didn't really understand. I just didn't get it. I, had no, I knew, didn't know anybody who was suffering through AIDS. I didn't, I didn't get that, and uh, so I began to flip through this, and I got, I got about halfway through, and God said, that's where you're going. Made no sense. 
made no sense whatsoever. I didn't know anybody in Africa. I, didn't, I only knew a few missionaries that I had met through being in church and had really no idea of, of what this really meant. I didn't even speak African. And um, it's not a language, just so you know. But, that, that was, but that's the point I was at. I did not know. And, uh, but I knew that I said, okay, God, if this is really what you want, I'm asking to allow me to do three things. Uh, I, I would love to work with sports. Uh, that's just something that's always been a part of my life. I uh, just, just enjoyed it. I, I still want to work with youth. My passion was still there working with young people. And uh, the third thing is, God, I kind of want to be in a position to, to build something, something exciting, something that could be really. So if you just kind of let the, the handcuffs come off a little bit, I'd love that. And I applied to 11 different uh, agencies uh, to go work with them, and I was soundly rejected by every single one. Um, so not really a confidence booster on the call of God in your life. Um, but it was a point where uh, a friend of mine, Randy Harp, said, hey, you need to talk to my pastor. They're doing something in Kenya. I said, great. Uh, I said, is that in Africa? He said, yes, good. Okay, we'll go. And um, actually, and, uh, at Baptist Bible College in, uh, in Springfield, Missouri, in May of 2001, um, I sat down with Doc, and uh, we had a talk. Now, I didn't preface anything. He just started talking about what they're going to do and this eight acres of land. And, and, uh, and all of a sudden, he starts saying, well, Sean, here's the deal. Listen, man, this country, I mean, you're dealing right now. You, you just have, uh, you know, under the age of, of uh, you know, uh, 19, you're dealing with 50% of the country. He's like, man, we got a lot of young people, man, but we don't have anybody who could work with them. I'm like, okay, that's one. And then he said, but you know what we're going to do, Sean? We're, we're building a 20,000 square foot building. And we're going to have soccer fields and basketball and all the rest. And he goes, but nobody on our team really plays any sports. He's like, but, you know, but if someone came over with the youth, that, that would be where they need to be. I'm like, all right. So I'm, I'm keeping track in my head. I, didn't do, I don't think I did this, but it was in my head. It was just, and he said, and I said, okay, well, let me, talk to me about the structure. He goes, listen, whoever comes over is going to have to just turn it loose, man. And they'll be responsible to me, and which is, you know, because we're moving these things forward. But as far as anything else, we don't know what's going to work. So they're just going to have to figure it out. I'm like, all right, God. So we jumped on a plane September 18th, 2001, landed in Nairobi, Kenya, and my life has uh, been changed ever since. And I, w- I wish I could say I landed and said, home, I'm here, this is it. I was scared out of my mind. I laid on the floor of our hotel room after the second night, and I was frightened because I didn't know anyone. I, couldn't even, I was trying to dial the, the phone for room service. I didn't even know how to dial their phones there. It was just such a weird, it was just, you have to, put these numbers first, and I'm like, this is crazy. What am I doing? I, I've way overshot. I'm so outside my depth here, and God said, exactly. That's exactly where I want you to be, and so, Doc, you know I'm always grateful to you. I love you and care about you, Miss Donna, and so he gave me a shot. He said, all right, how bad could you really screw this up, and um, you know, maybe that's the thing. It's, it's one of those things where you have to say, you know what? Let's just see what happens, and uh, so I'm so grateful to that because I did fall in love with it, and it is home. And it's where we plan to raise our family today. But what I discovered in this first couple of years was this. I discovered that the, what I thought about Africa was very different than what was really going on on the ground. And, and what, what I didn't understand was that uh, the, the people, and the name of our organization is Tin Roof Society, because we believe that below those tin roofs, you have to get beyond your perceptions of tin roofs and slums and poor and poverty and all these negative stereotypes and say, but who's there? And we found that underneath those tin roofs were amazing, amazing young men and women. Amazing young men and women and who loved Jesus, who had passion, had abilities. And we started to see how they were leveraging it for the gospel and for good and change of their community. 
And uh, one of our most formational guys, a guy named Anthony Matetti, who uh, Derek and I were really close to. By the way, if you guys knew this kid at 17 years old, hey, hey, amazing. Uh, I've never seen so much energy bottled in one person. I pray your daughter has it as well. Uh, but I'll tell you right now, this young guy, Anthony Matetti, changed everything about my perception. And then I met this guy, Jagush, and this guy, Mose, and began to hear about what's going on in their hearts. And it was all about this because it was this dream about, man, I, I think there's more. And guys began to share, listen, you know, our society really stinks and these things are bad, but man, we think it's going to change. And began to meet all these organizations who are doing great and godly things, and we started to see that there's a lot of disconnection and there's all these people who said, I want to do something. Have you ever felt, I want to do something, I'm just not sure where? I'm not sure how. I don't know how to connect. What, you know, I feel badly about this, but you know, honestly, if I give, where's my money going to go? Or, or who do we even work with? And we saw that over and over. At the end of 2004, my time was up and, and, and I came back. And, but it never got out of my mind that, what if? Who's building these bridges? Who's connecting these people who desire to change the world for the cause of Christ and the cause for good with those people who are actually doing it on the ground? And, and who's bringing these people on the ground together so they can uh, not go into duplication and that they can advance the gospel and build healthy partnerships, but also save a lot of money and a lot of manpower? And I kept coming back to no one. No one was doing that. So in 2009, uh, we launched Tin Roof Society with the purpose to inspire and empower people to change their world with an eternal perspective, that we could simplify the process of saying, how do we get the gospel to as many people as possible? And how do we help them uh, on the spiritual level? Absolutely. And on the physical and on the social. And how do, how do we impact them and maximize this? And we began. Now, we worked in about 19 different countries over time, but East Africa was always on our mind. And so in 2014, when, it, when the GDP of Kenya started doing this, at a 6% growth rate, sitting right there, just doing amazing things. We said, wait, what's going on? And we sat with my friends, and uh, we, used to, we used to sleep sometimes eight deep on a floor, mattresses we throw down, everybody's sharing one car. And, and I come back, and guys are buying cars and houses, and they're putting their kids through school. I'm like, what's going on? They're like, Sean, it's happening. The country's changing. Now, at the bedrock of this country, what's amazing is that Jesus Christ is still known and Jesus Christ is still desired. And there's just still a, a Christianity ethos, if you will. And we started to see these guys begin to leverage themselves for the gospel. And we started seeing things happen within East Africa that we never thought would happen. And transformations were happening and church planning was going on. And, and people were said, listen, maybe, maybe, maybe we're not who they said we were. Have you ever been there in your life where that moment was, wait a second, maybe they were wrong. Maybe there's something more. Maybe I don't have to buy into that label that they put on me. And that's where we saw Kenya. And it got to be very exciting. And the middle class began to grow. Over the last eight years, we've seen the middle class grow and grow and grow. But the question kept coming back within the middle class was, hey, listen, we're so appreciative of these people who have come and done these things and, and who have trailblazed and who have helped us for so many years. But what about us? What about us? What are we going to do? Where do we engage? Who do, how do we help? This is our country. We believe that there are East African solutions for East African needs that only someone within the context can meet. But who do we work with? So we started to try to answer those questions and connect them with people and places and opportunities and always seeking to put it with people that were gospel-centric. And we said, you know what? I don't know if we're going to be able to do this unless we move here. And so thank God for my wife. You guys who are single, take your time. 
Take your time. Find the right lady. Find the right guy. And, and find someone who still has a common passion to do what you're called to do as well. And uh, we sat down. And we said, okay, let's go. And so we moved to Nairobi, Kenya a little over three years ago. And specifically with the goal of working within the context to say, okay, how do we advance the gospel? And how do we help people meet needs within their communities and empower them with, I heard the word several times this morning, with, in a heart of generosity that reflects Jesus Christ. And so we've been living and working there, building off of our uh, 16 years of experience with people and places and opportunities. And we are seeing amazing, amazing things happen. And we're seeing the gospel go forward. And we're also seeing uh, people say, what, for the first time in their lives, wait a second, maybe we don't need someone else to come here and do this for us. We started a thing that was called Simply Do Good. It came out of a, an, uh, an issue that we had with two children that were uh, suffering with cancer, and no one would help. No one would help. None of the corporates, none of the, uh, the big radio stations, TV stations, no one would come alongside. And it was, a, it was a little three-year-old boy and a 15-year-old girl. And we met them randomly on the street. And it's one of those things where my daughter was almost three years old at the time, and we said, well, we got to do something. So we began to ask, who could we leverage and what could we do? And it began to happen. And then five people came together and 15, then 20, then 40, then 50, then 75. And people began to raise money and say, you know what? I got 10 shillings. I got 50 shillings, equivalent of 10 or 50 cents. And people began to give and give and give. And they raised well over $7,000 to send these kids to India so they could get the necessary treatment. And, And what happened out of that was what we began to see. Wait a second. Wait a second. We didn't get a million-dollar grant to help these kids or even 10000 but we're looking back and seeing, wait a second, together, what could we do to advance the gospel? You see, it's not about the size. It's about usually the passion and the heart and the determination and the perseverance because sometimes it's going to seem like the impossible task. And so out of that, we had, an, we had another opportunity. We began to just get groups together to do community projects because they kept waiting for people to clean it up. And when they go into the community, they'd be cleaning up and doing these things. And, and if they had the opportunity to be able to share the gospel. And, and then we had a drought that happened up in northern Kenya. And the government wouldn't respond. It was an election year. And they didn't want to look bad. So the government didn't respond. Red Cross couldn't get there. There was some infighting. And literally, there were 110,000 people that were starving. Two years previously, we had been up there to help with a church plant to help build a, uh, uh, the, the, the exoskeleton of a building. And so we called him and said, how are your people? He goes, Sean, they're going to die. We have 100 families in our community. They're going to die. We made a trip up there, and we saw that they were going to die. And we walked into this community, and our hearts were broken. It's called the Rendili people, and they're a warrior class. And when, warrior, when warriors are there, and I'm talking like real deal warrior class, shields, spears, rungus, the whole deal. When you come into their compound, they stand up, and they're checking you out to see what's going on. But we came in, these guys were laid out, just laying on the ground under the shade. No one came to greet us. We met a baby that had been born two days previous, and the mother had died in childbirth, yet the women were so emaciated they couldn't even feed this child. And so we went back, and we started telling people, guys, we got to do something. we got to do something. So we said, we're going to feed these 100 families. And over the next four to five weeks, we began to raise money, and we began to see the Kenyan people give. We began to see them respond. We began to see them stand up. We didn't ask for any resources from the outside, not because we didn't want to, but because we believed that it could be done from within. And I'll tell you this, we didn't feed 100. We didn't feed 200. We fed 300 families for over six weeks. 
And then we had people respond again and be able to give even more money. And we saw these communities. Now, we did it through the local church. Whenever the pastor was there, the pastor gave out the food. The pastor gave out the gospel. The pastor leveraged that relationship. And we were able to see his church established even more firmly. But also the great thing is we brought 33 Kenyans up with us to buy that food in the local community. And they began to look around and said, dear God, we had no idea. We had no idea. But this won't happen again. And we saw them engage. And, and one of the most poignant moments was when the chief of the, of the village came out. And he said, Pastor, you've been telling us for five years about this God. And we know, but we thought he had forgot about us. But today, Pastor, we see that he's real. And we see that he's not forgotten. Thank you, Pastor. And we saw this act of kindness, but also this intentional act of the Kenyan people rising up, coming together, and pushing forward the gospel and good within society. The cool thing is that a few weeks later, Hope Church was saying, listen, we want to impact the world. Hope Church, the Hope Center. They said, what, what, what can we do? And we said, well, you know, one of your big things you're passionate about is hunger. And they raised a little over 11,000 shillings, $110. And they said, well, I, this isn't much. What could you do? Remember the little baby I told you about? His name was Moses. They said, just take it and do what you can. Within two days, we had it in the hands of the pastor. The pastor went out and bought six weeks of formula for Moses and literally saved that little boy's life. This slum church in Kalangwari that, that 16 years ago did not even exist. People, average income, incredibly, incredibly low, began to leverage themselves to save this baby Moses. And as you just said, who knows who that little boy will be. But he matters to God. And when we look at the world, and we have to understand the context that we're working with. And for Tenru Society, our goal is to be able to contextualize things and be able to make it go forward, but also to be able to work with in local communities to say, listen, God has created you and called you just as much as he is anybody from America, anybody from Europe. And God has empowered you with gifts and abilities to find these answers that maybe those people in their context would never even be able to step up to because they wouldn't understand it. But it's going to take some intentionality. It's not easy. It's hard because the world is changing constantly. And we're given the mandate in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 through 20. And when Jesus Christ gave this mandate before he went into heaven, he said that we are to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. The challenge with that is sometimes it's really intimidating especially when that word all, right? When it says all nations, we begin to think, man, that is a big order, man. That's tough. That's hard. And it wasn't just a one-off. It was to keep going to the nations, keep going to the nations. But how are you going to get there? Who are you going to work with? How are you going to engage? We believe that the body of Christ is well-equipped to be able to answer all these things if we're willing to work together. But we've got to work within the context. We've got to view the world and understand it. Now, Wikipedia and Google are great for helping us figure out cultures initially. But nothing replaces being there on the ground. Let, let me give you a couple examples of people who got this wrong. KFC, Kentucky Fried Chicken, when they went into China, they made their consumers a bit apprehensive when their slogan, which is what? Kentucky Fried Chicken slogan is? Finger licking good. Actually translated over to eat your fingers off. 
They didn't quite get the, the context there. Mercedes-Benz, same market, comes into China, and they named it Benzi. That was their, that was their, their name was Benzi. The problem is it translates into Chinese. It says, rush to die. Gerber marketed baby food in Ethiopia. Now, the literacy rate at the time they were marketing this was pretty low. So what, what, consume, what people would do is they would put the picture of what's inside the can. Mothers were roundly confused when they saw the picture of this little baby on the front of the can of this baby food. You see, if you don't understand the context, it's going to be very hard to meet them, and we have to do that, and there's three ways that we can do that. We can follow the example of Christ. First of all, you have to know them. Second, you have to engage them. And third, you need to impact for him. John chapter 1, verse 14 says this. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, Jesus could have mandated from heaven and said, I want you to do this, I want you to do this, I want you to do this. And we have the word of God. It was already there. It was there. But the word had to become flesh. Jesus Christ realized, I cannot love and I cannot impact people from a distance. I've got to be there among them to the point that he spent his first 30 years getting to know us. In Nazareth, where he was born, the approximate uh, population was about 150 people. Not exactly the metropolis that you would drop a savior into, right? How is he ever going to influence? How is he ever going to have impact but his plan was relationship and to understand the context and to sit there and to be with them and to understand that, listen, if we don't have relationship, it all falls apart because it just becomes a program. And we believe strongly that God has called us to live in relationship. That's how he redeems us, isn't it? The relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. That's how salvation has come. So relationships in reaching the world are absolutely key. Great beginning points are to be able to go on a trip and be there and to be consistent. Now with social media, you can connect with people all around the world. It's an amazing opportunity. But our compassion and our passion must be informed, must be combined with an informed intentionality. We actually know what's going on. That's why we believe so strongly that, listen, if the church of the West is ever going to make an impact throughout the world, they've got to combine with the churches of Africa and Asia and the Philippines and the Caribbean and say, what do you know that we don't know? How do we work together in partnerships? How do we move together? And we believe so strongly that the answers to what's been, what we've been looking to uh, reach the world with the gospel of Christ are found in most of these churches that they will understand and be able to contextualize things we've been trying to do for so long. Now, listen, understand, 60, 70, 80 years ago, whenever the people from the West came in or wherever the missionaries came in, there was no gospel there. We're about on our fifth generation of Christians there, and in our third to fourth generation of Christians that have now been trained, and they have their own seminaries. And so understand the contextualization. My, my friends, if we're ever going to reach the world for Jesus Christ, we have got to figure out how we're going to walk together and partner with people. How are we going to partner with our brothers and sisters there, not as a benefactor, beneficiary, but as a co-laborer in Christ, not holding over? And this is what happened for so long, where there's dollars held over people's head, or, hey, listen, we're going to pull back on the program unless you do this, as opposed to saying, hey, listen, there's no strings attached. How do we come alongside you? Because this money wasn't ours in the first place. We're just a steward it. How would the world change like that? You got to know them. You see, we must know our neighbors to reach our neighborhood. There's no way it's gonna happen otherwise. 
And to reach the world, we've got to know the names. We've got to know where they came from. We have to understand the context. And that does not happen. That does not happen by reading an article. That doesn't happen by, by sitting here and, and maybe watching video too. Those, those are all good things. But we got to go. And as Justin said, maybe God's been laying on your heart that it's time for you to go. Maybe it's time to get up and go. You say, but, but what would I do? You know what? Ready? Here's the best advice that I give anybody that comes on a mission trip. Just go and be. Just sit down and talk. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to perform. Just go and be. Get to know people. Understand people. If, some, if God has been putting something on your heart, you sit with them. Hear their stories. Because the thing is this, our stories transition across cultures because we're all concerned about mainly the same things. Especially if we have families. It all comes down to that. When Jesus Christ came to earth, he didn't come and just start pounding people. He worked within the culture and the context because he knew people. He knew names. He knew stories. He spent time with guys for three years so that whenever he finally asked them to go in Matthew chapter 28, and he said, guys, it's time to go. It's time to get this thing done. He knew their, he knew their weaknesses. He knew their strengths, but he also knew they were capable. And I think that that's the part that we have got to get to when we look at world missions because it is changing dramatically. Whenever we look at reaching the world for Jesus Christ, we've got to look at people and understand, no, no, they may not do it the same way we do, but they're capable. And they may not exactly need us to leverage all of our resources. Maybe they just need one thing, an experience that we've had or whatever we have. How are we going to come together to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ in those ways? Well, I believe strongly that God has called us to begin to look at our world a little bit differently because it is changing. We look forward to the day, and, and I can tell you of one right now where Kenya has begun to send missionaries to the United States of America. It's already happening. Saying, listen, we're gonna leverage our pastors, we're gonna leverage our missionaries on your behalf because we believe we have something that you don't have. And we're gonna have this global opportunity to be able to know people on a level we've never had before. And if you look at the world over the last 30, 40 years because of travel and because of going back and forth in multinational companies, that is happening, even today. So first, we gotta know them. Then we have to engage them. If you know them, but we don't engage them, all we've done is just how we have a familiarity with people that we should win, but man, I'm not quite sure how. Most of the time, it's just about a conversation, stepping in. And so how do we engage? 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 through 23. We engage them by serving them. This is what Paul said. He said, for though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside of the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in the blessings. Paul said, listen, no matter where you're at, I'm gonna come to you and I'm gonna be with you. I'm not about posturing. I'm not about making my name. I'm not about you looking at me and patting me on the back. Where are you at? Because I'm coming there. The church, we must position ourselves in such a way that no one is beyond the, and understanding that no one is beyond the reach of the gospel of Jesus Christ the transformative power that God has put into us to transform our lives can transform their lives, but we have to be willing to engage. The Bible calls us, calls us salt, calls us light. 
says that, listen, you are here specifically for a reason. And the reason is that everybody will know the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. You see, if we don't do that, what we have done, we've hoarded the greatest gift ever. So how do we engage? How do we engage? Look at Jesus Christ. You see, a lot of people talk about the ministry of Jesus and we talk about the, you know, about the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount and we talk about the multitudes. But if you look at the majority of Jesus Christ's ministry is one-on-one, face-to-face, people he ran into day by day. He didn't call the disciples in mass. He called them one by one. A couple brothers were in there. There were two. But he said, listen, I want to engage with you. My question is this, my friends. How are you leveraging the relationships that God has given you how are you leveraging the relationships that God has given you to, one, help people, to, number two, advance the gospel of Jesus Christ? What are we doing right now in our daily lives to do those two things? Because the impact for the kingdom is the third thing that we're looking to impact for him. But if we're not doing those initial two things, what happens is we end up finding ourselves in a place where we're like, man, man, Justin's doing a great job up there. What a great pastor. And man, he's sharing the word. But understand, Justin's job is to encourage the saints to send us out to the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether it be here in Maitland around the world. You have a little over 17,000 people that live in this community, I think. 17, you guys are an incredibly dense community if you want to understand. I think I read like 990% more dense than the rest of uh, Florida. I mean, you guys are packed together. So, I mean, like your neighbors, you just turn, hey, how you doing? You know, you roll over in bed and you're like, hey, you know, you're looking out the window. And you guys are packed together. That may be the greatest asset that you have here in Maitland. Because when you're packed together, you're forced to do community together. But who do you know? How have we engaged? And so often, you're right, when we look around the world and we think, you know, the the message of the gospel needs to go to those who are poor and those who are hurting and those who haven't heard. That's true, but it also needs to come to those who are doing well, but they're poor in spirit because they're hurting. It needs to come to those people who are walking through a really difficult time in their life, and everybody knows about it, but they're just kind of dancing around it because, man, it sure is scary to engage someone on that level because it is messy. But all those of us who are married or have been married, you know, relationships are messy. They don't always go as planned, but they can be absolutely wonderful and amazing. And as we look at it this morning, we ha- we're looking at the idea of how are we going to engage in the guys. I'm going to tell you this. If we're going to engage the world, we've got to understand them. If you look at Kenya right now, 78% of the country of Kenya is 30 and below. We are a nation of millennials. We're a nation of young families. We have an emerging middle class that is literally blowing up and transforming the continent because that middle class is now going out to the different nations. We have a tech industry right now that the world is coming to be a part of. Jack Ma has been there, uh, Mark Zuckerberg in the last few years. They are there trying to buy up because of what is going on in East Africa. We have to keep pace with that. And maybe Africa is not the place that God is calling you to impact or be a part of, but what about that place where you are called? How are you growing to know more about them? How are you engaging those people? And, and so often, I'll, I'll tell you this, I love mission trips. It's how I started. It's where I went. But sometimes we compartmentalize our discomfort. Two weeks, I can do it. I can do it. I remember when I got a job, I worked at a, at a box-making factory. Box-making. Hot, smelly, nasty, awful. One of the worst jobs I ever had. But I came home and said, Mom, I, I don't think I can go back. She says, oh, no, 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 you can and you will. Mom, I can't do it. She goes, you can do anything for a summer. I said, I can, can I? She goes, oh no, you will. 
And I went back, and I remember just being there. I'm like, wait a second. Okay, I can make this. I can endure. Thank God he gave me a different job. But it was one of those situations where sometimes we like to compartmentalize our discomfort. We like to say, okay, I can do it two weeks, two weeks, two weeks. I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. And without this, and without this, and without this, I don't have Wi-Fi all the time. I don't have all those people I need. There's no Target. I don't even know if there's going to be a Chick-fil-A. There's probably no Chick-fil-A. And, and we can do it. And that's not, that's not a terrible thing, but we put it into that part because then we get back and <sighs> made it. People are patting you on the back. Profile pic is reflecting what you saw. And it's like, wow, you're the man. You're like doing the victory lap around the neighborhood. I'm back, people. I'm here. I'm here. I made it. I'm alive. Thank God that you do it. But let me ask a question. What if, what if we decide to live our life like that all the time? Where our discomfort wasn't compartmentalized when it actually it became part of our life where every single day we said, no matter how uncomfortable I get, I'm going to do the right thing. No matter how uneasy this makes me, no matter how much this is going to drain me, I'm still going to do the right thing. I'm still going to seek to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ because I know it is the right thing to do. What if it wasn't just about going on a mission trip so that you can get your Christian fix in, but that was just an extension of your every single day life because God was calling you to also go there. As an individual and as a church and as the body of Christ, which we are all together, if we are not a little bit uh, uncomfortable within our lives, I would dare say that maybe we're not laying it all out. Maybe we're Sean in 2000 who thought, man, I got it good. I got this Christian life going on and everything's going wonderful and it's going really, really well and it was easy. And God said, well, are you willing to do this? Ooh. No, no, no. See, God, that doesn't work for my plan. God says, no, no, it's not about your plan. It's about mine. As Bob Goff said also, one of the things that we have to realize in this whole process is, and he said, I, I got to the point where I didn't just, I didn't want to fix people anymore. I just wanted to be with them. And maybe that's just the first step. Maybe that's that part of just being with your community. And I know you probably work incredibly hard and you got long hours, you got a lot of things going on. But please understand that your neighbors are your neighbors for a reason that you live in this, this, this community and you live in this state and you live here for this time and for this place and this purpose and then opportunities come up to go to the nations for a reason. I didn't read that magazine accidentally. I read it for a reason and God said, are you willing? And that was the question I had to answer and today I ask you this, are you willing to do what it's gonna take to know, impact, uh, to know engage, and impact the world for Jesus Christ? Because if you are, it'll never be the same. If you are, You'll never be the same. So how do we start? John 13, 34 through 35 says this, a new commandment I gave you to love one another just as I've loved you as you also love one another. By this will all people know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. How you take care of each other in the church is gonna reflect in the community as well. So start there. You say, man, Maitland's big. Okay, just circle it down to the church. My friends, the gospel has been put on our hearts so that we can impact the nations, so that we can reach the nations, so that we can reach our own country, reach our own state and our own city. The question is not whether or not, the question is not whether or not we're called. The question is how we'll respond to that call. Just because we go to Africa does not mean that there's some kind of super call in our life. It's just the one that we were called to say yes or no to. What has God been doing in your heart? Where have you been at? What is that thing that he's been pushing on you saying, listen, I just want, are you willing to do it? And maybe it's been like, God, I love you, but my goodness. And maybe that discomfort coming into your life may be the greatest 
opportunity that you have to leverage who you are for the kingdom and for others. And I pray that it is. Thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel for more messages like this one.